Today, uh, the question I'm addressing is, who is Antichrist? And I intend to answer the question. You know, uh, there have been many suggestions about an individual who is the Antichrist. Uh, you know, many during the Roman Empire time, there were suggestions that certain of the emperors that were uh, particularly wicked, that they were the Antichrist. Uh, then during the Reformation years, uh, a number of popes within the Roman Catholic Church, they, uh, they were called, uh, some claimed they had the revelation that they were the Antichrist. And uh, back, if you go back uh, a little less than 100 years ago, uh, preachers said that uh, Benito Mussolini of Italy, the Il Duce, the dictator there, he was the Antichrist and the kind of that had a lot of verses because he was in Rome and all that. And then Adolf Hitler, the Nazi leader, he was another candidate. And then when he died, well, we couldn't say he was the Antichrist anymore. So then it was Joseph Stalin. And uh, now he's gone and Mao Zedong, King Carlos, King of Spain, Kissinger was a popular, the Secretary of State of the United States, uh, Henry Kissinger, who's still alive today. I think he's over 100 years old. And uh, people had certain plays by uh, giving letters in the alphabet a certain number. They got his number to be 666. And uh, that kind of, he, you know, I guess nobody believes that anymore. And then we had Yasser Arafat, the head of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. We had Gorbachev. I had a preacher come. When I was away about 30 years ago from my church and he preached that Mikhail Gorbachev, the general secretary of the USSR, he was the antichrist and he especially spoke about the birthmark uh, that the late uh, Mikhail Gorbachev had on his uh, forehead, on his rather bald forehead. And the people, I had to straighten them out when I got back. Then of course, uh, you just go back seven, eight years ago, the internet was full of preachers who claimed that Barack Obama, the president of the United States, he was the Antichrist. That was kind of a current thing. You may have remembered that if you were on the internet. I feel bad for the former president. I wonder what he's thinking about uh, evangelical Christians. And of course, now we have new candidates like Putin and, and others. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> the whole thing is kind of embarrassing. Let's face it, I even know of an instance in a very prominent church in this city uh, many years ago when a preacher on a Sunday morning claimed that the father uh, of our current prime minister, the father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, that he was the Antichrist. I think it raised some eyebrows in that rather prominent church, but uh, you know preachers get away with saying the darndest thing, don't they? It's kind of embarrassing. Hucksters, snake oil salesmen, come up with all kinds of things that'll sell a book, and they never apologize. They write books about the blood moons and what's going to happen, and then nothing happened like they said it was going to happen. But they don't worry. They just write another book about something else. <laughs> Make more money. I, you know, no wonder some parts of the church is in disrepute. Uh, so today when I address who is Antichrist, I'm going to read every verse in the Bible where the word Antichrist is. But don't worry, there aren't very many. <laughs> uh, the, all the verses about the Antichrist are found in the epistle of 1 John, 
and the epistle of 2 John. Now, some of you might be quick to say, well, Pastor Peter, uh, you know, what about the book of Revelation? Isn't the beast there the Antichrist? Yes, many nice, good people have made that interpretation. However, uh, the Bible never says anywhere that the beast of the book of Revelation is the Antichrist. Many believe that and have reasons to believe that. Others don't believe it. But the word Antichrist does not appear not once in the book of Revelation. And say, well, what about Brother Paul, the apostle? Doesn't he talk about the lawless one and the man of sin? Isn't that the Antichrist? Yes, many reasonable people have suggested that that is an individual Antichrist. Uh, Paul never says that. He never uses that word. The Bible never says, but it's an interpretation that reasonable people have made. Other reasonable, uh, Jesus-loving people have made the opposite interpretation. That uh, is not the same thing. So what I'm planning to do is actually uh, maybe a little bit novel. I'm planning to teach the Bible. How about that? Is that all right? Can we just go to the Bible? That would be a nice thing to do rather than me speculating, uh, being a little titillating, kind of doing, saying something, you know, that uh, um, if I was an honest man, which I am, I would regret a year from now. So I'm going to stick with the Bible. How about that? So there are four times in the Bible, but the word Antichrist is mentioned. Here they come. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, he wrote 2,000 years ago. And you have heard that Antichrist, there it is for the first time, the, that Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come by which we know this is the last hour. They, the Antichrist, went out from us, but they, the Antichrist, were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out uh, that they might be made manifest uh, that none of them were of us. So here it talks about the last hour. And I don't think we can even, the wildest preacher wouldn't speculate that when John is writing and saying, this is the last hour, that he would add a footnote saying, whoops, I don't really mean the last hour. I mean, 2,000 years from now, it's going to be the last hour. So he's referring to a certain last hour that is maybe different than what you think of as the last hour. Otherwise, he would be deceiving his audience. If I say to you, this is the last day for such and such, and then 2,000 years from now in, in 4,023, uh, somebody would say, well, he, he really meant now. I think you would say he is a huckster. He's a, he's a deceptive preacher. So what could he mean? Well, he could mean, there are different opinions when he wrote this. He could mean that this is the last hour of the old covenant, which is about to pass away completely. The last sacrifice is about to be made in the temple in Jerusalem. It's, oh, it could mean that. Uh, but but we, we can save that. Uh, just leave that thought to you there. Then he says that these Antichrist, uh, they came from the church. They were fellow believers. They came from us. They went out from us. They were preachers that went out, teachers that went out from within this uh, newly born church. But as they went out, they strayed and went in a different direction. 
Now let's go to the second verse where Antichrist is mentioned, 1 John 2, 22, just a few verses later. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So here you have two issues mentioned that the one who denies that Jesus is this eternal Christ, this eternal Messiah that was prophesied, that person is a liar. And the one who denies the Father and the Son is Antichrist. So who is Antichrist? The one who denies the Father and the Son. What does that mean to deny the Father and the Son? Well, it means that you would say that the Son, Jesus Christ, he was just a specially empowered individual. He is a child of the Father, just in the sense that all of us are the sons and daughters of God. Uh, but uh, because that would make what Jesus did on the cross rather meaningless. If Jesus is not God from God to show us God, then, and if Jesus is not our perfect representative before the Father, and the perfect representative of God to humanity, then who is the person who died on the cross? So, so to deny the Father and the Son is to deny or reduce or minimize what happened at the cross, what happened through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll pick up on that later. Now we go to the third mention of the, uh, of the Antichrist, 1 John chapter 4. By this uh, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit does that, that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So here, the issue here was, that the person who will not acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh, that person is an antichrist. You say, well, what's the big deal to us? Hang on, you'll see how this has a very big application to us here this morning in a moment. Just stay with me. I just make a notation of it as I read it here. Then the final time that the word antichrist appears in Scripture is in 2 John's epistle, verse 1 where it says, many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So again, the same issue there is about Jesus coming in the flesh. We'll get to that, as I said. So here you have on the four occasions that the word Antichrist appears in the New Testament or anywhere in the Bible, uh, it is not really primarily referring to any one single individual, even though your favorite prophecy teachers have suggested that. It is rather confer uh, referring to a, a collective of individuals. A group is plural. Antichrist have gone out. And it's interesting if I study history, that John, the disciple of Jesus, famously had one of the preachers who became very well known in the next generation was a direct disciple of John. His name was Polycarp. He was uh, the bishop of a place called Smyrna that you have read about in the book of Revelation. Well, Polycarp, in other words, he was hanging out with John 
And when he writes about this, he says the same thing as his mentor. He is referring to the Antichrist as a collective group of individuals that minimize and reduce the importance of the Christ. In other words, a class of people. And uh, uh, then others later on, as uh, the centuries roll on, even in the even in the third century, there are some who begin to speak of an individual antichrist. But I'm sticking to this. I may deal with that in a in a course uh, that I announce later on. But uh, I am sticking with what the Bible says about who are the antichrist. So the question is, who is antichrist? Well, who is who? Could it be somebody here in Toronto that's an antichrist? There are many of them. Good question. Now, what is John writing here? <laughs> he is directing his thought as a group of people called Gnostics. And this is known in history. There was a certain Gnostic teacher. And, and they were deceiving people. They were diametrically opposed to the new covenant and the finished work of Jesus. It says in 1 John 2, 26, a few verses later, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. So John was concerned about deception. And these people who were the deceivers, he called them antichrist. And anti means against so they were against the Christ. In some way, they were believers, they were in the church, but they went out and they strayed and they became against Christ or minimizing Christ. So what do we know about these? Well, we know, number one, that they denied the Father and the Son, which means they did not give Jesus his proper place. He was just an empowered saint that received power when he was baptized in the River Jordan. And then the kind of that power lifted from him. So he is an example. He is like a martyr. He is somebody who we can all learn from, but he is not the Savior. He's not the Redeemer. He is less. He is not the Savior of the world. So they, they, they denied that. Then it says here that... Uh, these Gnostics believed that the physical world, the flesh, is evil. And you will see how much this has influenced Christianity. They believe that the spirit world is good and what we should pursue, but the physical world, including your human flesh, is not good. So hence, they didn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh because Jesus is so good. How could he be in evil flesh? Flesh is evil. Uh, so therefore, they, some of them said that Jesus was like a hologram. Jesus was like a phantom. He was an apparition. He, or some would say, well, he was a mere, you know, uh, some apparition who was clothed in what looked like a body. And so they made Jesus something different. But what is the, the consequence of that is they denied sin. Remember it says in 1 John, some of them said we're not sinners because their philosophy was that since my body is evil anyhow, anything I do in the body doesn't count. I mean, so I can do whatever I want in my body. I can sin, I can steal, I can lie, I can commit adultery, I can do whatever in my body. It's just my body doing it. And my body is evil anyhow, so what does it matter? But my soul is saved. I, I, I'm a new creation in my soul and my spirit. So that's how they said we, we don't have any sin. 
uh, because the flesh is nothing. Out of that came monasticism, the idea to withdraw from the world. The world is evil. Anything material is evil. And from that, we still have in the church today a condescension towards healing ministry, for example. Some would say, oh, these health and wealth preachers, you know, they, they pray for the sick. You know, that's not important. What's important is your spirit. So they look down on those like our church, thank God, like our ministry, that present Jesus Christ as a healer. That's kind of looked upon as, as being lesser. That's not really going after the deep things of God because, you know, your flesh, what is your flesh anyhow? This material world is nothing. There's also condescension in that towards those who would say that God blesses us materially, that God blesses your finances, that how many believe that? I believe God will help you and give you wisdom and give our church wisdom and give every one of us as individuals wisdom and blessing in the material realm, including your finances. So, so embedded in a Gnostic thinking is that the material world, if you believe in God to help you financially, you just, you just, you know, that's nothing. That's nothing. And yet we know, of course, Abraham and all the examples, he was, he was rich in all things and so on and so forth. So, so the Gnostics, they believe that. So therefore they deny that Jesus came in the flesh. How could Jesus come and be in something as dirty and filthy as human flesh? So that's the issue. And that means also then that if Jesus wasn't in the flesh, he didn't bear our sins in his own body, in his own flesh on the tree. It does away with Romans 8, 3 that, uh, you know, what, what we couldn't do because we were weakened in the flesh, God did by putting our sins, by taking our sins in his flesh, Jesus put away our condemnation forever. Yeah. And, and, and so this is how they were teaching. And, and, and John says, this is the Antichrist. And... Uh, Another thing they were teaching that uh, salvation is through knowledge, thereby the word gnosis, Gnosticism. So it really made the death and resurrection of Jesus was a good example. It was something nice to read about. It was something to celebrate that, you know, somebody was willing to really go all the way and, and Jesus had such an enlightened understanding. But it really is of no eternal value. Because how you receive salvation is not through Jesus, your Savior, it's through your knowledge. You can see how some of these thoughts have influenced the church today, uh, influenced people's thinking regarding the material world. So we could say here, based on John's teaching, the Antichrist, and I give you a definition, is someone who minimizes, reduces, or opposes the finished work of Christ. Look, look at that. Minimizes, reduces, or is against, opposes the finished work of the Christ. And so there's a spirit of the Antichrist. So we could be well to ask, how are we today? How do we minimize Christ? Is it happening? Is there, is there a spirit of Antichrist that makes Christ less today? Or is this just some... Uh, 
aberration 2,000 years ago, some issue that John dealt with that then it forever went away? Or, or are there ways that we, I'm not talking about we, all of us. Let me just start with we who are here this morning and we who are born again believers. We, we're so worried about this political figure and this political figure. According to John's definition, the Antichrist were those who strayed from the revelation of Christ, who started out as believers. So let me give, ask you some questions. Here's one in relationship to prayer. Are we standing in the gap for our nation, for our family, or are we proclaiming him who stood in the gap for the world? Because if you, as many are in our contemporary Christianity, they see themselves as standing in the gap. Well, that's an antichrist thought that minimizes the Christ, that minimizes because, and, and it elevates ourselves. God said through the prophet Ezekiel, I sought for a man among them who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, but I found no one. So in the days of Ezekiel, God says, I didn't find one who was qualified to stand in the gap. So if you think that you're standing in the gap, you must be more worthy and a greater person than anybody in the entire generation of Ezekiel. You see how anti-minimizing Christ's thoughts come in. And so I say to you, put, put that back up there, that statement. Now what we're doing, not for a moment do I think that I stand in the gap. I would never think of myself so highly that I, Peter Youngwood, I stand in the gap for our country, for my family. I would never think of myself so highly. Never, never. No, instead I recognize like it was in the days of Ezekiel. There was not one found worthy. But then thank God for this new covenant focused on Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all. He stood in the gap. Let me, let me give you another example. I'm just poking around a little bit. Here's a sermon title I saw preached just about a month ago in a supposed revival. The sermon title was as follows. The top end time weapon to defeat Satan. That's not sound like a seductive title. Well, what's wrong with that? Lots is wrong with that. First of all, the title that this preacher, who most of you know his name, infers that Satan is not already defeated. It infers that Satan is not defeated. Hence, he's preaching a sermon on the top end time weapon to defeat Satan. This is an antichrist idea. It's a Christ-minimizing idea. It's Christ-less, Christ-reduction, inferring that Satan is not defeated against all the evidence of Scripture. Verses that I've quoted a thousand times here, 
Hebrews 2.14, how Jesus brought the devil to nothing, how he triumphed over principalities and powers, Colossians 2, and on and on and on we could go. And people go, oh, that's wonderful. i got to find out. What's the, well, and then it infer, infers that there are special weapons needed because we are living in a time that's so different. So it makes us, it appeals to our desire for pride and exclusivity. I'm living in such a different time. So the good old weapons that the apostle had, that wasn't enough, you know. There's new weapons here now. Such rubbish. So I want to just set everybody straight. You can listen to teachings I've done here. Satan is defeated, stripped of all real power. He seeks to use deception to create false imaginations in the minds of believers. That's what John is addressing. Antichrist, Christ minimizer. 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What are the strongholds? Is it a bunch of demons hanging out about a, a, you know, 30,000 feet? No, it's casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The strongholds are arguments, thoughts, such as these people that John was addressing had, thoughts that reduce to Christ that are disobedient to the finished work of Christ that makes Jesus less. If Jesus was just an empowered being by the Spirit, then he's not really our substitute. Then you've got to go at it yourself. And you better use every trick in the book to whoop the devil yourself. Good luck with that. But if Jesus is who the gospel declares him to be, the one who won an everlasting victory once and for all, then the battle is over. And so many little things, we don't even think of them as Christ's reducer. Here's another one. Oh, why, 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 why? Do we need more radically sold out believers? Or is the revelation of Christ what's needed? You know, you have people, preachers strutting on the platform. I tell you, we need some more radically sold out people for Jesus. You know what that is? That's just another form of legalism. For you to get out of your seat and be like stirred by some preacher who's kind of, you're going to get scared. Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm for Jesus. And then you go home with a hangover. <laughs> All you got is a charismatic revival hangover. You stir yourself up. It's like the prophets of Baal screaming for fire on Mount Carmel. That's, you know, sounds like, yeah, that's what we need. More radically, that's not what we need. We need people with the revelation of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, if you get that, you'll be radical plenty. And I say that as a man who in my lifetime, I dare say, I have personally pray the prayer of salvation with more people than any person ever in the nation of Canada. So I'm not a rookie. I'm not a rookie here. I, I say it again. I have personally, I dare say, prayed with more people to receive Jesus than any person in the history of this country. 
But I didn't do that on some emotional frenzy. I got I to get radical. Oh, I got to get radical. No, I have a revelation of Jesus. And I'm quite calm, cool, and collected. I don't need to join the prophets of Baal to scream and yell, God move, God do this, because I have a discovery of who my Christ is. Hallelujah. You know, radically sold out people, they do crazy things. In some religions, they fly into towers. No, we don't need that. We need people with the revelation of Jesus. Okay, let me, let me give you a few more. Do you need to press in for your breakthrough? Or do you need to know him who broke through for you? It's just another legalism. You pressing, I'm pressing, I'm pushing. Push, push, push. They even made that acronym push, pray until something happens. So you're not pushing enough. You just had another form of legalism. If Jesus is enough, I'll tell you, he broke through for you. You're resting in him. Hallelujah. Let me ask you something else. Is it materialistic to believe for healing and for God's blessing in, in, in the material world that you live in? Do you feel like a put down? I don't want to believe God to bless my finances too much because, you know, that's kind of dirty. The material world is dirty. That's just old Gnosticism. No, your, your body it's the temple of the Holy Ghost. Come on. Hallelujah. Look at your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your world, your house, your finances. God blesses you where you're at. We don't have this otherworldly monastic religion. We have God who blesses us. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Romans 4, 13, the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through law, but through the righteousness of faith, heir of the world. So I say to you, Jesus heals. That's not some secondary message for less spiritual people. No, Jesus came in the flesh. He was flesh and blood. He had real blood. He had real flesh. And God reveals himself in flesh and blood. And one of the ways he does it is if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will dwell in your fleshly, physical, mortal body, it will quicken you. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> So I know, you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit um, smiling to myself. So I've answered your question, who is Antichrist? Who? Raise your hand if you want. No, don't do that. <laughs> who, who? Anybody who minimizes Jesus. We, we read it right here. You say, well, you haven't talked about the book of Revelation. Well, I haven't since I'm preaching about the Antichrist and the Antichrist word never appears in the book of Revelation. So why should I go to the book of Revelation right now? I'll save that for a course later. I'm preaching what the Bible says. So what, what is the solution? Well, exalting Christ at every turn is the answer to every Antichrist. Can I exalt Christ a little bit? I just put, put this down on paper here so I would remember to say it for you. Let me exalt Christ for a little bit. First of all, 
He is before all things. He is above all things. All creation is by Christ. By Him all things are made that were made. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. And this Christ, this eternal Christ, came in the flesh of Jesus of Nazareth and became known to us as Jesus Christ of a town, a rinky-dink little town that was not known for much good, the town of Nazareth. And this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this eternal Christ, Christ who came in that body that was prepared for him. He shows us who God is. He shows us how much you are loved by God. He shows you who you are to God. When the Father says about Jesus, this is my only begotten Son in whom I'm well pleased. And that's, he's your representative. God is pleased with you because of Jesus. I'm exalting the Christ. Now what Jesus Christ did in his flesh is the end of religion. Oh, that sour, that tiresome business of religion. Religion business, it's such a dirty, filthy business. You think mafia is bad, religion is worse. You think organized crime is bad, religion is worse. And Jesus came in his own subversive way and he just, he just knocked the religion out of the ring. Oh, you see, religion is all about uh, telling people, telling parishioners how guilty and unworthy they are, how they don't qualify. It's a constant put down. Oh, yes, God loves you, but... But, you know, you're not good enough. Some of you have been to that church. That's all you've heard about, how you weren't quite good enough. And, you know, maybe one day you'll be worthy. One day you'll step up to the plate. One day, keep pushing, push harder, try harder. What a sad, sappy song. What a terrible, sappy religion. Oh, people say, give me the old time religion. Don't give me that one. I got to go further back than that. I got to go back to Paul and John and Jesus. I don't want that sappy, sad religion that killed your mama and papa. I want the religion that, that, that shows me that Jesus is my everything. Hallelujah. And then, sister, to have a religion business, you need to have that guilty conscience. You know, a, a good religion practitioner. lots of peddlers of religion in Toronto. Lots of peddlers. They're peddling it right now. This is prime time for religion peddling at 10 to 12. It's being peddled all across the city. They're saying, you know, you got to feel guilty. You got to grovel enough. You got to be repentant enough. You got to kind of, you got to be this and you got to be that, and you're never enough of it. So even after you pray and cry, you still feel guilty. I still, I don't know. I don't know. Was I guilty enough? Did I grovel enough? Oh, peddlers of religion. This is how they make their money. They got to just peddle that stuff to make people feel guilty. Well, maybe I don't live up in other areas, but at least I gave a good offering. Something to kind of put me over the top. Second thing you need for a religion business, other than the worshiper with the guilty conscience, you need a, a deity who is always a bit upset. Oh, he can be a very loving God, but he's still upset. Oh, yes, he's not pleased with you. No, he's noticed some areas. Uh-huh. He's noticed some areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen some things, and you know what they are. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
You can see, you can see how that is. And then you peddle your stuff. But if you do this, if you do that, if you try harder, if you give more, if you worship more, if you, it never ends. It never ends. That's why Paul calls it dung. So now that's a nice, that's a fine, dung is a fine religious word for another word that starts with S and ends with T, which I shall not mention here. He said, it's all dung. Let's keep the dung. Are you with me? He says, I count it all dung. But Jesus, by his death, this Christ, this Christ, this phenomenal Christ, he put an end to religion. We don't peddle forgiveness for sin. We don't peddle blessings here. We're not selling blessings. We're not saying that for $300 or for $3,000, your family will get saved. And if you up that to $5,000, you'll do this and that this year. We don't sell divine blessings. You know why? Because they're not for sale since Jesus already paid for all of it. He paid for your family. He paid for your prosperity. He paid for your healing. We are not religion peddlers. Jesus put an end to that. And God is not displeased. He's smiling on you. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so once you get this information... Once this wonderful good news information, which is shocking to the religious system, it is shocking. The antichrists that have gone out in the name of Christ, they say, well, it's too good. He's making it too good. We got we to gotta put a lid on it. We got to minimize the Christ. We are against this Christ finished work. That's too much. You know, the people don't know if they can handle that. So they go out. But once you get this information, you can receive it. And you receive it, it says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's the, and you're saved. And you say, well, what do I do then? I just go home and twiddle my thumbs. No, 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 no. Then you grow in Christ. Just because you confessed him now doesn't mean you got it all figured out. There's so much more to learn. You come and hear Pastor Nathan teach every Sunday. You come and make, make sure you go to a church where Christ is exalted, not where Christ is minimized. And you grow in the knowledge of Christ. And then you may get to the point in your life when Romans 13, 14 becomes a reality that you actually put on Christ. You put on Christ. You're dressed in Christ. He is my righteousness. He's my wisdom. He's my salvation. You become dressed in Christ. He said, wow, what a life. What a life. I'm so glad I turned my back on stupid religion. He said, well, Pastor, what about the end? What about the end? We need to hear about the end. I'm glad you asked. Here it comes. Are you ready? Here is the end. Everybody say Turn to your neighbor and says, the end is coming. Turn to your other neighbor. He's going to talk about the end now. Here, here, the end, the end. The end is near. Here, here it comes. Are you ready? Can we come in for the landing here? Here comes the end. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end. I told you. I told you we're going to talk about the end. Some of you have been so dreamy about the end. Here it comes. Then comes the end. You want to know how it's all going to wrap up? Are you disappointed? Then comes the end. 
when he, which is referring to Christ contextually, delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will be subject to him who put all things under him. Then God may be all and in all. Pretty good ending. Turn to your neighbor and says, there's a future. Oh, sometimes Christians, they're so, they want to hear about bombs. They want to hear about killing. They love it. Tell me more. No, this is the end. We have too much fascination with violence. Let's get fascinated with the Christ. <laughs> Everything put under his feet. And you see, the Antichrist is the denier, the opposer, the minimizer of who the Christ is what the Christ has done and the ultimate victory of the Christ. Deny that he came in the flesh and the ramification is really not much happened other than a nice example on the cross. It takes away the redemption. And so what we are doing, we are, I am exalting Christ. Everything else is so small, so pitiful. I think I quoted A.W. Tozer some months ago. He said, you know, if you've never seen the sun, if you've never seen the sun, then the fireworks of religion really seem spectacular. Is that true? If you've never seen the sunshine, you don't know what sun is. You've been kept indoors your whole life and someone shows you fireworks. You'd be like, oh, wow. Whoa, that's really something. But if you've seen the sun, street lights don't impress you. Fireworks don't impress you. Religion doesn't impress me. I'm kind of, I've been done with that. But we preach him. Jesus the Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord.